everybody, and welcome to another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. We're glad you're joining us, and Ken is here with us with a special guest. And so, Ken, uh, why don't you introduce us to our special guest today? Yeah, I am delighted to have uh, Che on on the program today. Uh, che is the uh, senior leader of H Rock Church. H is short for Harvest, Harvest Rock Church in Pasadena, California. Um, he's been a fixture in Pasadena for a long time. The Lord sent him to Pasadena. Um, and we'll hear more about that during our conversation today. Um, Che's one of the um, main leaders of what is known as the Revival Alliance. And he is a, uh, I would say a prodigious author. Um, he's a revivalist in his own regard. Um, he planted the Atrock Church uh, from nothing and grew it to be a, a large uh, urban megachurch uh, here in the United States. So there are so many different things I could say about Che that are positive and um, just amazing. And I've benefited tremendously from my relationship with him. I've learned a lot from him and I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Welcome. Ken, it's an honor for me to be with you, especially such a time as this. Yeah. And this is a very interesting time as revival is breaking out all over uh, the United States and the world. So praise God for that. Yes. Um, before we get into kind of where we are in, in the midst of it all, why don't we go back to the beginning and talk about you and uh, your early life and um, how you came to faith and how you got a call to the ministry? Okay. Well, I'm an immigrant. I came here when I was five years old. My father was the first Korean Southern Baptist pastor in North America, and that was our ticket to get into the country, got a special visa because there was no Korean Southern Baptist church in America at that time. And so I uh, came to this country, went to all-white school, and, uh, you know, experienced a lot of racism, to be honest with you, because uh, my sister and I were the only two uh, people of color. There was no African-American, no other Asians. And so it was a Forest Grove Elementary School in Montgomery County, Maryland. And, uh, you know, just got in a lot of fights, wanted to be accepted. And I had uh, received, I believe God had given me leadership gifts when I was young, when I was born. And uh, I quickly became the leader of uh, our group, uh, which ended up becoming uh, the beginning of the whole hippie drug culture. You know, the whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I got very involved early uh, even though my dad was a Baptist pastor because uh, he was working two jobs just to support a family of six. Uh, I didn't see him. And so my dad uh, was working. My mom was working and uh, had no relationship with my father. A lot of, in fact, uh, honestly, uh, he immigrated when I was two years old and we had visa problems and we couldn't join him until I was five. And so three years of my formative years, I didn't even know my dad. And so the sense of the desire to be accepted, uh, loved, uh, I, I started to do some radical things at a young age where young people, uh, my peers would accept me. And the whole hippie drug culture came in, and this is now the 60s. And, and so I gave myself to drugs so that by the time I was 15, I'd done everything under the sun as far as hard drugs, heroin, cocaine, LSD, barbiturates. And by the time I was 17, I was a drug addict and a drug pusher. So here's a prodigal. I, I never knew the Lord. So what I didn't backslide. I never knew him. But but out of control, my parents tried to communicate. They didn't know what to do. And all they could do is pray. But thank God for golly parents who pray. And I just want to encourage whoever's watching this, don't give up on your son, your daughter. Just keep on praying. Uh, I'm reminded of Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus and you and your family will be saved. And, and we're seeing a tremendous harvest coming in already in this next move. But I got saved in what's called the Jesus Revolution. It was uh, May 25th, 1973. And I uh, got radically saved at a Deep Purple concert, a heavy metal rock concert. And I had an encounter with the Lord two weeks before. But that night I had another encounter. And the Lord told me if I really wanted to follow him, because even though I had an encounter two weeks before, I never gave up the drugs. I didn't give up my partying lifestyle. But that night, uh, he told me, if you really want to follow me, leave this concert and follow me. And the moment I walked out of the Baltimore Civic Center with around 15,000 people, because at that time, Deep Purple was the number one group with a number one song in 1973, Smoke on the Water. 
And I walked out of the concert center. I was instantly delivered. And it was like that for so many of uh, my friends who came out of the whole Jesus revolution. There were heroin addicts, there were drug addicts, and it was just supernatural conversion, deliverance. There was so much power of the Holy Spirit. And so I got involved in a uh, beautiful uh, uh, revival where uh, our Bible study grew to from just a handful of kids to over 2,000 kids meeting in Washington, D.C., and of course, it broke out in 67 in Costa Mesa in Southern California, but it took a while to get to the East Coast. And so by the 70s, it was full blown and uh, got saved in 73, uh, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, though, in 74 at this Bible study. It took me a year to find this Bible study. And that's when I realized I was called to vocational ministry. Uh, when I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, my body started to shake, my hands went numb. I didn't know what was going on. There was no language for it because I got involved in a evangelical dispensational cessational church that didn't believe in the gifts of the spirit. But, but he was like Billy Graham. He gave an altar call every Sunday. So I joined that church. Uh, but when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I realized that I didn't fit into that church anymore. And I started to look for others who had the same similar experience. And I found this Bible study that blew up and I was full-blown in the Jesus Revolution and the Charismatic Renewal. And so I started to serve the church that uh, was birthed out of this uh, revival called Sovereign Grace. This is back in uh, Washington, D.C. area. And um, and before I knew it, I was full-time uh, as a pastor in training at the age of 22. And then at 23, I was ordained as a pastor, married also at the age of 23. But it was uh, a few years after our, our wedding, in 1979, then the Lord gave me a prophetic dream to come to Los Angeles. A black man appeared to me and said, come to Los Angeles for there's going to be a great harvest. And I heard the prophetic words just ringing in my ears. The time of revival is at hand. And of course, I was so young. I didn't know if it meant right then or it was going to be a while and end up in 10 years. And before the revival hit in 94 with the Toronto Blessing. I've often wondered, um, I've heard you tell that story of the, the black man coming to you. Do you think that was William Seymour? You know, I've had a number of thoughts. Uh, I think it could be William Seymour. But in the dream, uh, I knew he was 6'5", 300 pounds without an ounce of fat. I just knew that. You know so you know how you get prophetic dreams. You just know certain things, even though you yes. see. And I, I feel that he may be, in, be the angel of Los Angeles. I think there was a Macedonian call, uh, just like Paul received in Acts 16, the Macedonian call uh, from a man from Macedonia. It could have been the angel from Macedonia. It could have been an individual that was asking him to come. I don't know, but I do know uh, that uh, even though my our church is very multicultural, but it's predominantly white, you know, I'm, I'm Korean, but I'm pastoring a white church, basically a American, uh, as far as culture goes, it's not a Korean church, it's not a, obviously a African-American church, but it's uh, predominantly um, white with a lot of different uh, uh, ethnic background, but culturally they're all just American. And, um, but but I do feel this next wave, the Lord began to speak to me, it's going to be people of color, it's going to be the Latinos, it's going to be African-Americans, and I do feel a lot of Asians are going to get saved in this next move of the Holy Spirit, as well as, if I could just say this, the LGBTQ community. I really feel the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. And of course, Gen Z are absolutely confused, like 25% of them. Uh, feel that uh, they, they don't know what their gender identity is. You know, they have some issues with LGBTQ issues. And yet this is where the Spirit of God's moving. In Asbury, when I went there on February 16th and 17th, uh, the first day I was there, uh, one of the, uh, uh, and I didn't even know who was leading it, but someone just said, if you're 25 years or younger, please stand up. And I was blown away, like 75% of the 2000 in uh, that auditorium, in Hughes Auditorium, were 25 and under. And they had a whole section just for students. I mean, three quarters of the main floor was just for students. It was packed. And by the way, if you were a student, you could show a student ID 
you could go right in without waiting in line. I have to wait three and a half hours. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I wish I was, I had a, my student ID again, but it was just a freezing cold. But, but I, I could see that they were really honoring Gen Z. They were hosting them and just really reaching out to them and this revival. So I was so encouraged by that because I know revival is always with the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I was at a, a meeting recently and um, someone was discussing a new report that they had paid the Barna organization to put together. Uh, they paid $300,000 for this study and um, they were kind of walking through all the findings and there's a lot to say, but the, the, the main thing that really jumped out at me above and beyond everything else that was interesting and noteworthy um, was that Gen Z is a generation that seems to be poised, wanting to return to traditional values. They don't actually like being confused about gender. They don't like the messaging around uh, the LGBTQ uh, move that Gen X and Gen Y have embraced. And um, so it looks like generationally, of course, you just need the breath of God to blow on that, but everything is pre-positioned for an explosion of um, Christian embrace among the Gen Z crowd. Absolutely. It reminds me really of the 60s, the turbulent 60s. A lot of people don't realize how, you know, we had, uh, of course, uh, Kennedy's assassination, Martin, Dr. King's assassination in 68 and 63 with uh, Kennedy. You had the war in Vietnam. You had uh, bombings going on, protests against the war. And um, and I I remember as a 16 year old protesting against the war on May Day, 1972, in Washington D.C., and it was a very very turbulent time, a pivotal time, and we're going through something similar because we're we went through a COVID lockdown. Uh, they they're going through a 40 year high inflation. And they also are a byproduct of the 2008 recession where they saw their parents lose their lose homes and and their finances. And so they've gone through a lot of hardship. But I, I wrote a, a new book, my new book, uh, Turning Our Nation Back to God Through Historic Revival. And I said, it's always the darkest time before the light of revival breaks out. And of course, Isaiah 6, day 1 through 3 is a classic passage for that. It, it's, uh, it says, Arise, shine, for a light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Darkness covers the earth and deep darkness over the people, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear before you and nations will come to your light. And so we see that uh, there's uh, darkness, but in the midst of the darkness, the light of revival breaks out. So it's like the pe people are so poised, Gen Z is so poised to come into the kingdom because all the shaking they've gone through for the past several years. Yeah. Amen. Well, May it be. May there be exactly that harvest and may it be broad and wide. Of course, the timing of uh, the Jesus Revolution movie is, well, you know, movies when they're going to launch is set way in advance. It's not a highly yeah. flexible thing. So the fact that it came out when it did is uh, providential, coincidental. And uh, I think it's the Lord underscoring that we live in very historic times. I really believe personally that we crossed a significant line of demarcation in the spirit in February. And as we moved into March, um, we're now on the, we're on the leading edge of this revival. It's already happening. Yeah, I believe that too. And in fact, I, I felt the Lord speak to me just in my prayer time. I didn't hear an audible voice, but that small, still voice of the Lord last year that we're coming into the early stages of revival. And I said, Lord, I need a sign. You know, this is 2022, right? Right. Of course, Roe v. Wade got overturned on June 24, 2022. And to me, that was a huge sign that, oh, my goodness, God's on the move. In the midst of all the discouraging news and the lockdown and pandemics we went through in 2020 and 2021, yet in the midst of this, we see this light of uh, transformation uh, taking place in our society. And then when January hit, now I felt it was very significant on January 8 when Jack Hayford, my mentor, uh, and spiritual father went home to be with the Lord, and and I felt like his uh, the the day he died was January the eighth, and at the age at the age of eighty eight, and the Lord began to speak to me. Eight is a number of new beginnings, and something new was going to begin. Now this is before, obviously, uh, the Asbury, which broke out interesting enough on February the eighth, the next month. 
But I, I just felt that, and I uh, we were on a 30-day fast, and we culminated uh, with our church. Uh, it's traditional. We do every January uh, 31 days of fasting, and on the 31st, we break it in. We had a psalm assembly that night, and I just shared uh, that we are in for a epic season of revival, and are we willing to pay the price? Because I felt like the Lord gave me a verse for that night as I gave a, a brief message in our prayer meeting, our psalm assembly. And um, it was from Psalm 50, verse 5, gather together my consecrated ones to make a covenant by sacrifice. And so we're gathering together and that we need to make a covenant of sacrifice and say, what are we willing to pay to see revival for the next generation? And I, you know, I don't know what that looks like, but I just know by God's grace, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see revival. And that was the commitment I made that night, not knowing that, uh, a few days later, on February 8th, the revival would break out and I would be in line. You know, I, it was like train, planes, trains, and automobile because, you know, <laughs> there's no flight out except for red eye. And I haven't flown Canada in a red eye and I don't know how long. But uh, then when we got to Chicago uh, for a layover to get to uh, Lexington, Kentucky, you know, our plane had mechanical failures. They had to get another plane. to So four hours delay in uh, Chicago. And then we get there is pouring rain. And uh, it's just like one challenge after another. But here's what happened. The moment I walked into the airport in Lexington, I felt this supernatural peace that stayed with me the whole time I was in Wilmore, Kentucky. And what really hit me was is that uh, I, I, I had my associate pastor, Fred, who's a millennial, he's 32 years old, and I said, Fred, isn't it amazing we've been experiencing peace? And he said something very profound to me. He said, isn't it amazing that God would manifest the Holy Spirit uh, with a manifestation of peace, of shalom, to a generation that is the most anxious, the most fearful, the most oppressed yeah. generation yeah. Uh, than ever, and that God in his love and mercy would just come over because the service was not like a charismatic service. It was very evangelical. Uh, of course, Asbury Seminary is a Wesleyan denomination uh, and very evangelical conservative. Um, and yet there was so much holiness. Um, you fell more in love with Jesus. They were just exalting Jesus during the worship time. As you came away, you know, like, my goodness, it's all about Jesus. It's not about a personality. There was no personality. There wasn't any uh, guest speaker or, you know, from Nashville, you know, all these uh, stars, you know, uh, even Christian artists that are well-known. But there was no one well-known leading worship. It was just students leading worship. And it was so beautiful, and I just came back, and I just said, this is the real deal, because we're seeing souls being saved, we're seeing lives being transformed, a lot of repentance, and it was really interesting, because the altar calls, the people stood up, and then they went to the back room to repent, and they had a whole counseling team in the back room, and, and they were repenting of things like pornography, uh, issues like, you know, computer game addiction, which, you know, it's not something on my my radar, but for Gen Z, it's a big issue. And um, and and then I talked to the counselor who was behind. It was a professor who volunteered as a, as a counselor in the back room. And she said, 70% of those who come back here are manifesting demons when we pray for them to receive deliverance. So Ken, right up your alley, you know, it's just like they're getting set free. And so even though it was, was not a charismatic service where you didn't see like Toronto people shaking or the old uh, vineyard days when we would say, you know, John Wimber would say, come Holy Spirit, and people would just manifest. It wasn't like that, but yet the fruit of salvation, deliverance, healing, two people testified how they got sovereignly healed just in the worship service. One had an autoimmune problem. The other one had uh, injured his back and just felt God just sovereignly healed us back. And so you had healings breaking out. And I and that's the kind of fruit I was looking for, you know, science of the kingdom, you know. And, of course, the gospel was being preached. And so um, so I was very, very encouraged. And then, Ken, I came back. I shared it with our church that Sunday. And it broke out in our city. And we've been having nightly meetings in Pasadena since February 21st. And so uh, it's been a, a just amazing. And of course, this has broken out in over 260 campuses to date. Right. You know, it probably, yeah, you know, it's a lot more, but it's just spreading. 
And uh, and I've done a little bit of traveling where I'm going. It's just breaking out. Uh, in Houston, I was there in two different churches. The Spirit of God fell on both, very powerful. Uh, they even called for a special meeting that, that um, I preached on Sunday. And they said, can you come? And so I did a healing service on Tuesday night. Tremendous amount of healings, deliverances. And so I'm really encouraged. Now, I have to be honest. I feel that the water level, if I use a metaphor from Ezekiel 47, is ankle deep. But it's, it's you know, rising. You know, it's going to be knee deep, waist deep, and eventually it's just going to overwhelm us. But it's just starting off uh, very, very ankle deep. But it's the but the presence, the uh, the quality of um, the outbreak, uh, how this is spreading around the country, they're all signs of what I saw in the Jesus People Movement as well as in '94 with Toronto and Brownsville revival. Amazing, just amazing. I I've had meetings as well of late that have kind of blown me away. I just got back from Germany on Monday. I was there for two weeks and. Um, the Lord was definitely with us there. So whatever, whatever contagion I may have picked up here in the United States, it went with us there. Um, but before I left, I held some meetings up in the central coast area of California. And there were a lot of people there who remembered Lonnie Frisbee and John Wimber and Chuck Smith and, you know, those people. Uh, certainly they would have known Jack Hayford as well. Yeah. Um, and many of them were saying, oh, I haven't been in a meeting this powerful in since, you know, those men went on to the Lord. John died 25 years ago, Lonnie 30 years ago. Um, so it was really, it, it's really quite something to see what's going on. I'm, I'm super encouraged by all that's happening. Although the one thing I've noticed is when revival breaks out, you tend to get exhausted because you're running so hard to be involved in everything, right? Well, the, the thing is, is that I've only just been to two of the nightly meetings in our uh, our city, you know, because um, yeah. we, when revival broke out in 94 at Mata Torum, we had five nights a week for three years. I remember. Totally exhausting, totally yeah. exhausting. And I've learned from that. And I realized, you know, um, first of all, I think it's the next generation that's a kid, you know, you and I, are, we've paid our dues and we've been there. But it really, the baton came past to those with the energy, you know, and so I'm a boomer. And so I wanted to uh, really ensure that the millennials and Gen Z are really taking this. And uh, but the second thing is I realized is that, you know, I personally and I, and I believe this, I believe that you could be in personal revival, that you can maintain your first love. Uh, there, but there's something about a corporate revival. And Amen. So if, I'm in that personal revival and loving Jesus, walking in holiness and walking in integrity. Uh, and I'm seeing the fruit of uh, lives being changed, souls being saved. But but the level has risen, just even witnessing opportunities. And this is not a hyperbole. I've seen more people could say through my own personal evangelism in the last two months than maybe two years combined, or maybe even more. It's like it's so easy to share the gospel with people, uh, and they're just right. And um, and what's really interesting is is that um, most of them are Hispanics that I've encountered here in LA. I was at uh, I was I flew out to um, uh, Guatemala to uh, had a, the honor and privilege to address Congress and meet with the president of Guatemala. And from there, I went to Houston, and that's where the uh, manifestation of the spirit really came. But, but as I'm in the United Club at LAX, a woman came out to me who was a worker there, and she said, "I want to thank you for giving me this booklet." And I gave her my personal track. I totally forgot about it, but she said, "I prayed the prayer at the end, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Now I'm bringing my kids to church." And I said, this is the first time I've seen someone respond to my track and come back to me and say, I got saved. So I just got this track out just the past year, and, and I've been giving it out. And that was so encouraging. And it was this Hispanic woman named Maria. And I it just it just made my day as I'm leaving for Guatemala. But again, you know, uh, I had this a dream right after I came back from Asbury. And in this dream, uh, I work out at LA Fitness, you know, just to just uh, just to keep the uh, my blood circulating. And and uh, and in the dream, I was work I was on a um, exercise machine, and the guy who works there who fixes these machines is a Hispanic man who's the guy who's constantly fixing all the equipment 
in LA Fitness. I see him. I've never talked to him, but he was in my dream and he collapsed dead right in front of me in this dream. And I wake up, it's 12 o'clock. I look at my digital clock, it's 12 o'clock. And I just said, oh my goodness, I need to talk to this guy because this guy maybe is a side he needs to, you know. And so I look for him the next day, I go to the gym the next day, just looking for him and I don't find him. So I decide to go through my routine, my exercise. As I'm finishing up, all of a sudden he walks into the gym with his toolbox. And so I make a beeline to him and, and I struck up a conversation and found his name is John. He's around my age as a Hispanic uh, mechanic. And, um, and I just said, John, I don't want to freak you out, but I'm a pastor and I had a dream of you last night. The reason I'm talking to you, I had a dream of you. And in this dream, you died. Now I built my fence. I said, look, everyone dies. Okay. And I'm not saying you're going to die. I'm just saying that it just so startled me that God would give me a, a dream about a stranger I've never talked to. So I was going to ask you, are you afraid of dying? And he's wearing a mask, right? He said, yes, all my friends have died of COVID. I'm just scared of COVID. And I said, well, listen, you know, if you did die, where do you think you'll be? And and he said, what do you mean? Are, will you be in heaven or hell? And he comes from a Catholic background. He said, well, I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't. I said, would you like to? He said, Yes. And he was so eager because of the fear of death. He gave his heart to Jesus Christ. I prayed for him. And now I see him at the LA Fitness. I say hi to him. He's no longer wearing a mask. He has a big smile. I've directed him to a church in the valley where he lives. And again, a Hispanic person. And it's almost like the Lord is even giving us prophetic promptings to, to share the gospel with certain individuals. So we know the harvest is starting to come in. Yeah, amen. I remember you preaching. I, I, the years run together for me at this point, but I'll say two to three years ago, maybe four, um, that that there was going to be, uh, California was going to turn, but in particular, you said that there would be this gigantic harvest among the Hispanics. I remember very clearly that you said it. I just can't say when exactly it was. Well, and I'll be honest, the reason why I said that is because when we first moved out to California, Lou Engel, who was, who's been a prophet in my life for 35 years, in 1984, he said, revival is going to come. It's going to come through the Hispanic. And um, and so when I said it, is to it was because the Lord reminded me of that prophetic word. Uh, not because I was seeing a lot of Hispanics come to know the Lord, but I was just declaring what he declared. And now I'm starting to see it. And I'm starting to see the Hispanics are coming in. We had a Hispanic gang member, the whole nine yards in a Latino gang in L.A., recently got convert. He's leading all these people to the Lord. And so, uh, uh, not this past Tuesday, but Tuesdays before when I was at the Tuesday night meeting, uh, he comes up to me and said, well, you commissioned me. I, I want to you know, give words of knowledge for unbelievers because he heard my testimony of people getting... You know, and he heard about this Hispanic guy that collapsed in my dream dead. And he said, I want to get some prophetic words. So I pray for him to be activated. And um, and so the next day, this is a Tuesday night on Wednesday, he calls me. I'm in our pastor's board meeting. And because I see his name, Salvador, and I know he's a new convert, I take it. I walk out of the board meeting and he says to me, he said, uh, Pastor, I've been invited to speak at my high school, and I just finished speaking. All these kids got saved, but the principal was there, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he's right next to the phone. Will you tell him what he needs to do now? <laughs> and so, he, you know, he has, and I'm talking to the principal of the school, and I said, sir, I just want to make sure you understood what the decision you made. I just want to make sure it's not just agreeing with some kind of religious tenets. But you radically gave your heart to Jesus Christ to walk in obedience, to love him with all your life. And he said, absolutely. And so I understand what uh, Salvador was telling me, and I've given my heart to Jesus Christ. And I, this was amazing. So I just told him to get involved in the local church that preaches God's word, welcomes the Holy Spirit. I told him to get into the word and read the gospel of John, and I'm following up on him. Well, the next day, he leads someone else to the Lord, and he calls me up again. This is like Thursday now. 
And he says, Pastor, will you tell this woman what to do now that she's given? I said, Salvador, listen, you can tell her. This is what you're is this guy's leading so many people to the Lord, but he sees me as his pastor to follow up on the people he leads. I said, no, I don't have time for this, you know? <laughs> and so this is this is unprecedented what's going on. I mean, I have not had this kind of uh, harvest since the Jesus people movement, you know? Now we're just starting to see it come in, and it's just Hispanic people that I'm talking about. You know, this is, this is so exciting. You know, I've been feeling for a while maybe maybe three-ish years plus or minus that uh, you know when you think of the five-fold ministry the one that's been somehow I don't know I don't really want to say de-emphasized but least on display of late um, has been evangelism and I've been saying Lord we need you to really stir us back into evangelism and raise up evangelists (laughs) that really are gifted at winning the lost and yeah. now you're telling these stories, and I, I'm just loving this. I've had several people saved in meetings that I'm that I've been leading lately, and and honestly, you wouldn't have thought that there would be any non-believers in those meetings. But sure enough, there they are, and so bang, they're getting they're getting harvested as well. It's super exciting. Yeah, no, it's amazing. But you know, our roots, both you and I were part of the vineyard, and of course, I was a vineyard pastor for only one year, but nevertheless. <laughs> Uh, we started Harvest Rock Vineyard of Pasadena. A lot of people may not know this, and, and but we got asked to leave in a very nice way because of the Toronto controversy. Now you got to understand, you know, John and I, he was my professor. You may have been there too in '84 when I enrolled at Fuller MC 510 Science and Wonders and Church Growth, and um, and what people don't know that John went through so much con- controversy with the whole prophetic movement with Paul Kane and Bob Jones mm-hmm. and Mike Pickle. And now Toronto in uh, uh, the vineyard in Toronto was getting just slammed by the Holy Spirit, but it was very controversial, the manifestation. And I think John had suffered a heart attack and he was fighting cancer and he knew his time was short. And I think he really wanted to just leave some stability in the vineyard before he went home to be with the Lord. But so he said, uh, we think you should continue to do the meetings at Mott, but not as a vineyard. And so they laid hands on us, little me, and blessed us. And um, and so as I'm walking out the vineyard, uh, Anaheim Vineyard office, I said to Lou, I said, this probably was the nicest left foot of fellowship in the history of the church. Uh, because they're so nice to us. But, but you know, but the, the fact is, is that John was a incredible apostolic evangelist. He, he was, was a soul winner, you know, more than he was a teacher or a pastor. It was just apostle slash evangelist, signs and wonders, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm claiming that for myself. I just want that uh, mantle to be upon me because I, I want to go after souls. I want to go after the lost. And, uh, and I'm believing that we're going to see another wave. Like John brought the third wave, of course, Chuck Smith and Lana Frisbee, the first wave. But isn't it interesting that Lonnie was also involved with John in the early days of the vineyard as well? And he was really catalytic on Mother's Day, the famous Mother's Day. Were you there, Ken, at that time or did you join later on? I I came just behind it. So I didn't I wasn't there for that meeting. But I did travel with Lonnie for about a year uh, before he went off to South Africa. So I I know I, I knew Lonnie and I I think I benefited from many things that he shared and taught me and, you know, his own his issues with you at that time. I think people know that he died of age, that he shared with you uh, his struggles. Yeah. Well, he, he didn't share his struggles, but you know, it was very interesting. One time we were uh, up in Santa Cruz and he was doing some retreat up there on at a retreat site. I can't remember where it was now, but I remember it was kind of up above Los Gatos in the, in those mountains there. And, uh, we were sitting around the campfire talking and he made the comment to me that he had been raped when he was a boy. And he said, and he did it with a, with a butcher knife. And he said, and he didn't use the handle. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, that's firsthand testimony that he shared with me. And I, you know, I haven't said that widely. I'm saying it now on this podcast because there's so much discussion about all of this anyway, but he said, he just looked at me and he said, that really screwed me up in the head. Yeah. And he said, uh, you know, oh, I'm yeah. still trying to get past all that. You know, I wish 
I wish we could have ministered to him with what we do know of inner healing and deliverance, you know. Absolutely. Um, I've thought that many times. If if you know. if he were alive today, I would just grab him and say, right, Lonnie, let's go off with a couple of guys that you trust and let's uh let's just spend a weekend and get this sorted out because there's yeah, no reason exactly. you need to deliver this. Yeah. But I think it was um you know very profound because I met Lonnie before he uh, I met him in ninety-two. Uh, before he died in 93 or 94. I forget exactly when, what year he died, but but uh, we were at a set free. It was a brand new church, was blowing up, and uh, he was helping out, consulting them. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, it was just, it was a new breed of church. I don't know if you remember the set free movement. It, it died mm-hmm. out. But, you know, they were having, uh, <laughs> you know, basically, um, you know, uh, music worship that was more rap music and dancers and all that. And yet there was 2000 people there. It was just amazing. But I asked Lonnie to lay hands on me and pray for me because I knew of him and I knew the background. And I just said, Lonnie, you know, I'm not judging you. I read his book. I read about his life. I knew that he was molested by a babysitter, uh, you know, and it was just uh, tragic what he went through. But I also know there are a lot of, there are a lot of people, other people who've been uh, uh, seduced and uh, abused and um, and you know I think it's almost prophetic, prophetic that uh, his testimony is coming out that God can use you no matter what your background is, uh, but you do need to get healed up so that you don't fall by the wayside. And so I'm I'm concerned about Gen Z because I feel like that generation is absolutely confused, and you know of course uh, uh, that that generation has accepted homosexuality as just you know just part of life you know which is not it's a deviant uh it's not biblical uh and of course uh, you know uh just like in our days of uh, of the 60s of and with Lonnie too you know the whole sex drugs and rock and roll there was a lot of experimentation a lot of multiple partners and homosexual uh experimentation and I feel that is coming back again with Gen Z because society has made it like this is norm no no worries right. you know and so uh but but I feel like we have a lot of uh ministry ahead of us for inner healing and deliverance with this next wave of young people and we really have to do it right because I don't want seven worse demons to come in when we cast yep. out I want to make sure that they're filled with the Holy Spirit they receive some inner healing and and uh, we got to be trained in this area in order to minister to the next generation. Yeah. Amen. Totally agree. And, you know, it's interesting. You and I grew up in a time when fatherlessness was, I mean, it was everywhere, but it was the first, I would say, really fatherless generation, except for maybe those in Europe where everybody had been killed in World War One or later World War Two. But, yeah. you know, we, we, we didn't really use that language of a fatherless generation, but it was in the 60s that families began breaking up because of all the free love philosophy. And so, you know, the adultery that flowed from that, et cetera. Um, and the net effect of all that was one of the problems sociologically in, in society at that time was so many people were they were directionless because they didn't have fathers. They didn't have guidance. They didn't have leadership, but you know what else we didn't have was grandfathers. And now we have people like you and me and others, many others, I'm certainly not limiting it to us. Um, We are grandfathers. Uh, My daughter had her first, my eldest daughter had her first baby in January. So I'm a new grandfather, but I am. Congratulations. So here we are. Um, and we've got now maybe some tearing in the society. We've got some grandfathers around. We've got some fathers around. And we have mothers and grandmothers, too, in the faith. And it may be that um, the Lord has, I mean, these things take time, but the Lord has waited until this time so that we have uh, people who can help raise the new generation of believers and they can maybe replace the families they didn't have with really good spiritual families and they can grow up to be mature believers. I, 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 I firmly believe this is in the heart of the Lord that this, yes. you know, where we well, go. What you're saying is very profound. I, I totally agree with it because, you know, God's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, three generations, not just one yeah. generation. It's not two generations. So, 
And I do feel that we're in the Malachi chapter four, five, and six period where he's yes. prophet Elijah, which is the Elijah was a revivalist. He confronted the prophets of Baal, the fire came down, and all the Israel, the northern kingdom, turned to the Lord, the Lord he is, God. And that revival spirits upon us to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, but also the hearts of the children to the fathers. And if we don't respond to this prophetic um, invitation, this land's going to be hit with a curse, and the curse is LGBTQ issues. I feel all the issues we're dealing with um, concerning uh uh, just the upheaval in our society is because of fatherlessness. And you're absolutely right. You know, it's really interesting because I was studying this, that the divorce rate in the 50s was one out of eight marriages. In 60, 1960s, it became one out of four. But by the end of the 60s, it was almost 50%. It just escalated. And now it's like 55% is just tapered off. But, but nevertheless, Gen Z, most of them come out of a broken home. They have right. no fathers. And so, uh, so Jesus said, who's my mother? When his mother and brothers were outside the door, and he said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are out hit there. And he said, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Who are my sisters? And he pointed to his disciples, his apostles. These are my brothers and sisters. So he redefined the church as his family. And that I'm not in any way uh, neglecting the nuclear family, but the ultimately is both as the nuclear family that loves Jesus becomes a family, but also his church, his ecclesia, is is his household. He uses that on this oiko de meo. I will build my ecclesia in Matthew sixteen, and that oikos is is household building on the household or building on the family is the ecclesia, the church. And so that's very, very profound that God is restoring the family through the church. And so the thing that was beautiful about the Jesus Revolution was that there was a sense of family. You know, I was there. It was a sense yeah. of community. We lived in a brother's household. We lived communally like a family. You know, we had shared <laughs> everything but the shared toothbrush, you know, but it was like uh, we had a common pot, you know, where we put our money in, we bought our groceries, and if anyone had a need, we would just make sure they had uh, money to to meet that need. And so it was like, we were trying to live Acts 2, uh, 42 out, you know, and and so this was the beautiful thing about it. And, it drew, and a lot of hippies came into that environment because they felt uh, at home, because they didn't have that kind of home environment uh, growing up. And That's so, right. So we've got to replicate that, you know, as a church. And that's why I really believe um, telling our people, don't make the mistake that a lot of us did in the Jesus Revolution. We led a lot of people to the Lord, but we didn't bring them into the local church. We just committed them to the grace of God, hope they made it. But Jesus himself said, if they don't gather with me, they'll scatter. And I don't think mm -hmm. it's just about him personally. He's talking about his body, his ecclesia, that we need to gather uh, in a local church. Otherwise, we're going to lose this harvest. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the thing that all of this tells me is for guys like you and me that maybe in the natural, you think we're approaching retirement age. I, I don't I, I, I have a feeling we're not retiring anytime soon. No, not at all. In <laughs> fact, I, I don't know if you know who Dave Diaz is. He, he's a marketplace guy. He came out of the dot com company. He's part of Revive California. But he sent me a study, and he said that from 65 to 75, you come into real convergence. 75 to 85 is afterglow, so you're still being used by the Lord, even when you're 75 to 85. So really, Ken, you're coming into the prime of your ministry, and, and I'm right now in the middle of that. And so that, that should encourage you that um, the best is yet ahead for you. Well, amen. I'm ready for that. <laughs> I'm ready for that as long as the Lord gives me strength. But you know, my body's still in pretty good shape. My hair's a little thin, but uh, but other well, than that, I don't really have much to I mean, play. You know, it's like join the club. Yeah, but you know, it's been amazing because when the Lord told me in 2022 that I was entering an epic season uh, of transformation and with Roe v. Wade being overturned, I didn't know that I was going to lose 50 pounds. I lost 50 pounds and I have more energy than I've ever had. And, um, and so uh, it's been a personal uh, weight loss as well as this personal uh, rejuvenation that's been taking place uh, while, you know, on a macro level, as for a revival that's breaking out and the country is taking place at the same time. So I do believe that God wants to uh, restore our strength 
and uh, renew us personally as well. Yeah, amen. Well, I, the, the verse that I think about all the time and I actually quote it over myself regularly is he restored your youth like the eagles. So I'm like, okay, you know, bring it on. Give me strength to run and, you know, we'll, we'll keep going for a while. Uh, and of course, you know, we have to uh, put uh, action to our, our decrees and our prayers, you know. And so that's, that's why right. I, and I try to watch what I eat and I'm really just... Uh, Really, uh, you know, especially with us traveling, you know, you got to eat what's set before you. And, and so uh, it's very easy to, uh, and I noticed that when I first met the vineyard leaders, they were all just heavy, you know, including John. And John would joke about it, you know, he would say he would prepare for, uh, you know, a conference by drinking Coke and eating a candy bar, you know, <laughs> I just said, but well, that's terrible. Now, I understand what he said, he's so busy. Um, that he doesn't have time to eat, but just a candy bar just to get some energy. But but what a bad example, though. He was, he Absolutely. you know, things that were not healthy for us. And I'll never forget, you know, God bless Benny Johnson. And she went home to be with the Lord, of course, in 2022. But she said to me, uh, when we're part of Revival Alliance uh, in the early years, because we went on vacations together. Uh, it's been like um, 15 years of going on vacations, but so... Who started in 2005, and and she said um, she saw me drinking diet coke. She said that's that's going to kill you, and um, and she so spoke in such a strong because she was a very health organic eating just exercise. She wrote a book on it, and um, and it changed my life because at that point on, I said okay, I'm going to stop drinking diet coke, and I've stopped drinking diet coke ever since then. So that was the impact of this uh, profound uh, woman of God. I love the verse, and um, I believe it's uh, it's uh, Proverbs 12, verse 20. You walk with wise, you become wise. But a companion yes. is full of her harms. And so I, I really believe it's important for us to mm. gather around godly people and uh, let the iron sharpen iron effect take place. Yeah, amen. I agree. Well, let's keep lifting each other up and uh, I guess I'll be seeing you shortly at the uh, at the conference, the Global Summit Absolutely. Conference. Yeah. Now, I, it's very important. You know, you're part of the uh, roundtable of Apostles and Prophets. We'll be meeting on Wednesday. And for those who don't know, um, uh, we're part of a network of churches and ministries called Harvest International Ministry, which was birthed in 1996. I mean, uh, two yeah, 1996 through a word from Cindy Jacobs uh, right after we left the vineyard. Uh, in 95. And, uh, and so uh, we have a round table of these amazing apostles and prophets uh, who, are, who are like who's who. And I'm just so honored to be part of this. Uh, but it should be a really good time because of what's going on uh, globally, because it is a global revival that's breaking out. That's uh, right. We saw it in Guatemala. And uh, I'm going to Peru in a month and we're just hearing reports about the holy spirit just really breaking out of course it's been really going on in the developing nations you know all throughout the pandemic and even like in china and india the church is exploding in growth um uh, and yet um it's now hitting america and i pray it will hit europe as well amen well it i think the leading edge of it is hitting europe but europe might Europe might be a little bit lagged only because there's been such, I mean, the entire area is burned over spiritually and uh, you know, the, the faith has all but left the continent. There are pockets of it, of course. And um, what was your experience in Germany just recently? What, what was your observation? Um, well, the churches I was with, uh, I think they were hungry. Um, some of them are, I think, battling what they don't even realize in their own heads with intellectualism and just the secularism of the culture. But the Lord moved. I mean, we had many, many, we had a number of people get saved. Uh, we had many, many healings and deliverances. Um, and you, you could hardly get the people to leave the church when the meetings closed. So, I mean, that alone tells you that people were lingering and looking for more. Yeah. No, the sign of hunger. Uh, you know, the day I was there in Asbury, I mean, like three and a half hour in the freezing cold, being in line. Uh, but twenty thousand people descended the next day, according to the paper. And uh, you know, of a town in Wilmore, which is near Lexington, but it's six thousand people in this small town. Every hotel, 
every car rental uh, for miles around. You couldn't find anything close by. I had to get something like 15 miles away uh, just to just for uh, my time there. But people were willing to pay that price. They were so hungry. People were driving from Omaha, Nebraska, just nonstop to get to Kentucky. And, uh, and they were just sharing, you know, every single state. And then people from around the world were coming in. They reported people from Indonesia, from Brazil, obviously from Canada, Australia. People were coming in from all over. And so it really is a global thing. And uh, But one of the earmarks is this, this hunger that, you know, obviously, you know, I don't feel you have to uh, travel. And by the way, stop. The meeting stopped. But, but, but you know, I think people can tap into right where they're at because the Spirit of God is moving and I think um, what Charles Finney said comes to my mind that revival is nothing more than a new beginning of obedience to God. And I just want to encourage uh, your listeners and those who are watching that as you consecrate yourself afresh to the Holy Spirit in faith, ask him to fill you with the Spirit of God, be revived. And I believe that you can carry that and uh, and then find other like-minded people. So there's synergy. So there's a cluster anointing of revivalists and let it be catalytic and spreading in your city and your local church and uh, your hometown. Amen. That's a really good exhortation to leave us with because uh, oftentimes people will ask, well, what can I do? I never made it to Asbury. And the answer is seek God with your friends. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll one verse, uh, Acts 5.32, the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. Powerful scripture, you know, the eyes of the Lord look throughout the whole earth that he may show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are completely his. And so can I lead uh, your people in a prayer of consecration? I was just going to ask you to do that. Yes, absolutely. Well, those who are uh, watching and, and those who are listening on to this podcast, just pray with me. Just say, Heavenly Father, Lord, I repent of any sin, any selfishness that has grieved your spirit. And I commit myself afresh to you. I give you all that I am, all that I have. I surrender all. I confess and declare that Jesus is my Lord. Lord, I just ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. The word says that the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. We consecrate ourselves even now, Lord, corporately, that you would fill us. All those who are watching right now, may the Holy Spirit just fill you and come upon you. May the anointing just not only just come upon you, but come inside you. And the Bible says we're not to be drunk with wine, but be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Amen. Well, Kenneth, amen. it's been an honor to be with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much for accepting and being with us. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks in Pasadena. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any remarks? All right. Bless you. No, thank, thank you. So thank you both for joining us and thank you all for tuning in. And we'll be right back uh, here next week for another episode of God is not a theory with Ken Fish. We've recently updated the Orbis Ministries app with Ken's free teaching archive. You can click on the link in the description of this podcast to download today.